0: Isaiah Chapter seven uh, this morning. If you have been with us over the course of Advent, then you know that our series, uh, A Thrill of Hope has we have looked at the prophecies of Isaiah, and we will do that today, and we 'll do that again on christmas Eve uh, and Just to reiterate our, our Christmas Eve services four o 'clock in our main sanctuary will be the children 's nativity, uh, led in large part by our children, uh, never uh, never ceases to be amazing, um, never ceases to bring joy, to bring a smile to your face. Uh, So children of all ages are welcome, but the the children will lead us primarily uh, in that service. And then 6 o'clock in this space for our Crossroads uh, Christmas Eve service, and then 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock, 8 o'clock for lessons and carols, and 11 o'clock for uh, traditional, both of those in the main sanctuary. So you can come run the gauntlet and come to all of them, uh, you can come to some of them, uh, but we'd love for you to come to at least one, and it's such a great opportunity uh, for you to bring people. Um, people are hungry, uh, friends, for something to hope in, and, and, and I, the season of Advent reminds us that there is one who is worth hoping in, um, and, and one that we hope for. And so we we invite you uh, to come and to be a part of that. There will be candlelight and communion at all of uh, those services. So um, know that regardless of what you choose, we'll have the opportunity to light candles, to sing the songs, sing the songs of the season, and to um, approach the Lord's table together. Isaiah chapter 7. If you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand with me. We'll begin in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and, we, and we'll call him Emmanuel." He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So rightly, in this time of year when we hear this word, as Matthew picks this up in his gospel, We hear a word of hope. Maybe this is familiar to you from Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel angel of the Lord, that's a messenger of the Lord, appeared to him in a dream and said, "'Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit.' She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew interjects this in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that's the prophet Isaiah, verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. So when we hear that promise of Emmanuel, God with us, we often hear it in Matthew's gospel. We often hear it in the context of um, the, the, the birth story of Jesus. And, and we know that Matthew, uh, if, if you remember, the Gospels were, were written to the early church. This is sometime after Jesus' resurrection and after the church is born in Jerusalem as a result of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised to his disciples. Um, after his resurrection, he revealed himself to them and said, Wait in Jerusalem for the gift that I have promised you. And, and the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, and they are empowered, and they are inspired, and, and the, the church is born because um, this crowd that is gathered there uh, to celebrate Pentecost comes at the sound of, of the rushing wind and, and the speaking of tongues, and, and they're hearing the Word of God proclaimed in their own language. And, and Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, stands up and proclaims the gospel of Jesus, proclaims the good news, roots that in a larger story, and, and it says that people are cut to the heart and they say, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 um, come to put their faith in Jesus um, on, on that, that, that first proclamation uh, of, of the gospel following the, the gift of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. So, Churches thriving in Jerusalem, they're gathering together in the temple courts, they're meeting in homes, they're ordering their lives under the proclamation of the word, that should be a challenge to us, they're ordering their lives under the proclamation of the word, they're breaking bread together, they're celebrating in homes the gift of fellowship and the gift of community, they're celebrating the Lord's Supper together, God is doing wondrous signs among them, and, and it seems like all is going well until persecution breaks out against the believers, because they are becoming a nuisance, they are becoming a problem. And, and as persecution breaks out, and, and Saul, who will later be called Paul after his conversion, um, Paul is, is right there in the middle of it. Persecution breaks out, and everyone except for the apostles scatter. They go back to their own homes, and what do they take with them? The gospel. Right? And that's how the gospel begins to spread. Something that man intended to put a stop to this was like, was like jet fuel on this little flame that had, that had sprung up in Jerusalem. So, why do I say that? Because as the, the story got further away from the source, as those who took the message with them took it back to their own communities, like any good, you've heard me say this before, but like any good game of telephone, the further from the source you get, the more twisted the message becomes, and even if it's a little bit different than what, was, what initially happened and what was originally told, then it changes the message enough to change the message. Right? So the gospel writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to get upon themselves to make sure that they recorded this story um, so that it was faithful to what really happened, so that as the church continued to grow, as people began to ask questions, as they began to, to wonder or, to what, what, hap- what is the story of Jesus, what is this gospel, they had these texts and they had these, these stories that were told based on the texts, in order that, the story re- that they remained true to what happened. And they remain true to the person of Jesus, and they remain true to the, to the work of God. So Matthew, all of the Gospels are unique. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels are similar. All of the Gospels are unique. Um, the, Matthew does something a little bit different than Mark and Luke, in that Matthew really places an emphasis on this kingdom that has come with the birth of Jesus. And he does so because he wants the people of God to understand that this is a part of a much bigger story. This isn't just an isolated event. This wasn't just a child born to a virgin in this small little corner of the world. But this is, there's something much larger going on. So if you look at the way that Matthew begins his gospel... Matthew chapter 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and so on and so forth. So beginning with the the promise given to Abraham, if we go back to Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, he was called at that time, when God calls Abram, who is advanced in years, married to Sarai, um, who, will, who will later come to be known as Sarah, who is also advanced in years and have, have not been able to have children? God comes and says, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. What an outrageous promise. And yet, a barren womb and the advancement of years did not stop God from accomplishing and from fulfilling. And making that promise that was given uh, a yes and amen in in the life of Abraham and Sarah, but tells him, I'm going to make you the father of a nation, and then tells him, through you, I'm going to bless the world. Right? So Matthew is going all the way back to this promise that was given hundreds of years before, generations before, through Abraham. Through what God is going to do, the entire world will be blessed. And you trace from there all the way down to Jesus. All right? And and in order to to further situate, situate this as, as the fulfillment of a promise that God made, you see here, and again, this is in reflection. Matthew is at this is after the fact. This not, Matthew's not, he's not there at the birth of Jesus taking notes like a good reporter interviewing Mary, interviewing Joseph. Like, okay, how, how does it feel now? Well, how do you think it feels? Like, I'm about to give birth to a baby. Like, it's, it's a bit uncomfortable, Matthew. How does it feel? And, and we could say the same for Luke, the doctor, the one who is, you know, he's, he's um, incredibly detailed in his gospel account. But this is in reflection at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Matthew is able to point to the birth of this child, this baby, Jesus, as being the fulfillment of another promise that was give, given. The promise that we just read in Isaiah chapter 7. A virgin will conceive and will be with child. And he will be given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right, and, and for us, in this season of Advent, we hear that promise as being so full of hope as we should. But but we can't dismiss the context in which this promise was initially given. Because in, if we do that, we miss out on on what I believe is the fullness of, of what this means, God with us, right? It's, it's easy to be excited about God being with us if we believe that God is on our side. It, it's like if you have ever been in an argument, how many of you are, are, are a sibling? If you have ever been in an argument with a sibling of yours, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping primarily this was when you were younger and not as, as adults, um, but if you've ever been in an argument with a sibling when you were younger and you just thought, I, I am in the right here. And this thing that is happening, it, it is, it is I, am, I am not at fault. And so when, when the parent, the authority, comes in, you think, thank goodness, because they are going to see my side. They are going to be on my side. And my younger brother, my younger sister, whoever it may be, is going to get what they deserve. If that's how we understand God and who we understand God to be, then Emmanuel, God with us, that's good news for everyone that's opposed to us and doesn't see things the way that we see it. The problem is, as Blaise Pascal says, in our understanding of being made in the image of God, we have spent all of of history since then returning the favor, meaning that we take God and make God into our image. That if I believe this way, God must believe this way. If I vote this way, it means that God would vote this way. If I feel this way about this given person or this people group, then God probably feels the same way that I do. So Emmanuel, God with us, as long as God believes the same things that we believe and views the world the same way that we view the world, that's only ever going to be good news. And yet the context in which this was spoken from God through the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz, we will find that this is not necessarily good news, that this might have stung more than a little bit, and yet, as difficult as that may have been for Ahaz to hear, it is still ultimately good news. Think of it this way. C.S. Lewis, in uh, an Advent uh, devotional that that I've been reading, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis in it. And C.S. Lewis says this, supposing you had before you a manuscript or some great work, either a symphony or a novel. Then there comes to you a person saying, here is a new bit of the manuscript that I found. It is the central passage of that symphony or the central chapter of that novel. The text is incomplete without it. I've got the missing passage, which is really the center of the whole work. The only thing you could do would be to put this new piece of the manuscript in that central position and then see how it reflected on the whole of the rest of the work. If it constantly brought out new meanings from the whole of the rest of the work, if it made you notice things in the rest of the work you had not noticed before, then think. Then I think you would decide that it was authentic. On the other hand, if it failed to do that, then however attractive it was in itself, you would reject it. Now, what is the missing chapter in this case? The chapter which Christians are offering. The story of the incarnation. The story of a descent and resurrection. That is for us the missing piece. That is for us the piece that is central to the whole, our whole understanding of who God is and what it means to be His people. Our whole understanding of as Paul writes in the beginning of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, that God decided ahead of time, that it was in God's heart to adopt us as his sons and daughters, to adopt us as his children, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because God in his, has his heart for us is one in which he longs for us to know the fullness of life with him. How does understanding the central piece, God with us, change the way that we see that? Or, or, how does it change the way that we hear uh, these, these words that, that Paul writes in his second letter to the, the church in Corinth, the end of, of chapter three, verses 17 uh, through 19. where the spirit of the I'm paraphrasing here, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and, and there is transformation, that we, who with unveiled faces, are, are more and more reflecting the likeness of Jesus as we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. What does it mean that we are going on to reflect Jesus in this world that, that as John Wesley would say, we are being sanctified, we are becoming more like Christ, we are being perfected in our love for God and in our love for one another. How does understanding that central peace, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, change the way that we view and understand all of that? Isaiah chapter seven, I believe, gives us some help. Now, if we were to, to, to back up, which you should when you're reading a passage. Anytime, if you are a devotion, you know, a person who reads devotions and they give you one verse as as kind of the key for for what the the writer or the author of that devotional says, that's great. Spend time with that verse. Memorize it. Make it a part of of, of your mind and heart, but always read what's around it. It's important to understand what is happening outside of an individual verse or outside of just a a collection of verses. So if we back up to uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, uh, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest were shaken by the wind. All right, so at this time, the kingdom of Israel is divided, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. There's this kind of ongoing strife and conflict, and Ahaz gets word from uh, Isaiah. He he learns that the northern kingdom of Israel has allied with another kingdom, and they are about to march against uh, Judah, the southern kingdom. They are about to march against Ahaz and his people, and so Ahaz and his people naturally are afraid. They are shaken as, as the trees of a forest are, are shaken. And maybe some of you, as winter came in, in what seemed like full force yesterday, you were like, yeah, I, I, I felt that. I felt shaken to the bone because I was outside uh, in, in the wind. Isaiah comes to Ahaz. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, to has at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the, to the launderer's field, say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. What words to hear in the face of a coming threat? Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stumps of firewood. This is the imagery. This is the the word picture that God has given to Isaiah to take to King Ahaz. And in painting these two kingdoms as smoldering stumps of firewood, he's saying they, they will come to nothing. There's nothing for you to be concerned about. This is not a fire which will consume you. In fact, this is a fire that's on its way out. All that's left are these smoldering ends of of, of a stick. Isaiah has come to Ahaz at the leading of God to comfort him in the face of disaster. Friends, the season of Advent for us is meant to be a reminder that God has not left us alone. That in the face of turmoil, in the face of disaster, in the face of confusion like we, um, we talked about last week in our passage. That there is a promise of hope. That there is one who comes and one who seeks to be present in it. So Ahaz is given this encouragement by Isaiah the prophet. If we go back to, down to where we picked up. In verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz through Isaiah, and he says, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Ask your God for a sign, because the thing that is in Ahaz's heart to do, the reason that Isaiah is sent to Ahaz is because Ahaz, at the threat of this, the, these coming kingdoms who have united to come against him, Ahaz reaches out to the kingdom of Assyria and says, hey, could you help us? This just little Judah here, the southern kingdom of Israel, could you, if, if we ally with you, if, if we become friends of yours, if, if we align ourselves with you and what you're about, will you help us against this coming threat? And, and in fact, just to show that, that, that we are faithful, just to show that I'm not trying to trick you, I'm, I'm going to give you some of the, the, the vessels of the, the temple. I'm going I'm to give you some of the things that we use in worship. And, and to further show our allegiance, we're going to worship some of the gods that you worship, just so you know that we're like we're for you. We are, we are a team. And, and we would look at that and say, why, why in the world would Ahaz... Choose to do that when Ahaz is given an opportunity to trust in the faithfulness and the strength and the goodness of God. And I believe the moment that we ask that question, we ought to turn the mirror on ourselves and say, why in the world would we choose to align ourselves with powers of this world? Why in the world would we choose to align ourselves with empty promises? Why would we choose to chase Temporary solutions to a problem, as has as, been alluded to earlier, to a problem that ultimately we do not have the strength to do anything about. We are not too different from King Ahaz. And Isaiah is like pleading with him here. He says, He says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights, just ask, ask him for anything, any sign. It, it, it reminded me of the, the SNL skit, the, the, the Jeopardy skit, where um, Will Ferrell is playing Alex Trebek and uh, Norm MacDonald, and probably one of his greatest roles is playing uh, Burt Reynolds. right? And, and, and Will Ferrell is so fed up, they're, they're in Final Jeopardy, he's so fed up, and he said, for Final Jeopardy, he says, you know what, forget it, just write down a number, any number, any number, it could be one, it could be two, three, four, any number. Any number, just write down a number and it will be correct. And and of course, none of, none of, them, uh, none of them write down numbers. Uh, the closest is the number uh, Threve uh, and the wager was Texas. So that, that's incorrect, just anything. So Isaiah is like, just ask for a sign. It doesn't matter how large it is, it doesn't matter how small, just ask. Ask for a sign and give God an opportunity to prove himself that he is going to make good on his word. That this threat that you see will come to nothing. It is an opportunity instead for you to trust the Lord. Just ask for a sign. Ahaz's response. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. That sounds very pious, right? Like that. Sound, if you go back to Deuteronomy 6, that's where that instruction is given. I will not Put the Lord to the test. It also says in Deuteronomy 6 that you will have no idols before me. You shall not worship false gods. And yet, that's what Ahaz is choosing to do by aligning himself and the little southern kingdom of Israel with Assyria. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. When we feel like our way is right. When we maybe have even gone through the motions of asking God for wisdom or discernment on a given thing. And we feel like God is leading us in a certain direction. And yet because we have done the work of taking this thing before the Lord. Then then we feel like the moment that we've made up our mind to do what we wanted to do anyway. then, then Then we feel like we have acted faithfully. This is perhaps where Ahaz has been. This is perhaps what he has done. Given an opportunity to trust the Lord. And being given, being given the solution. Just ask God for a sign. He's waiting to prove himself to you. To show you that that he can be trusted. And Ahaz answers, I won't put God to the test. That is the answer of someone of little faith not someone who is seeking to honor the Lord. It's the answer of someone of little faith who has already made up their mind to do their own thing, who is thinking politically, who is thinking what is best for me and for my kingdom and for my reign. I will align myself with this greater power and I will trust that this greater power will see this through. Friends, we too often if not daily, are tempted to align ourselves with powers of this world. To our, we are given false promises of a hope in the midst of whatever circumstances we are facing. God is awaiting. Just trust me in this. Just trust that I am faithful. Just trust that my promises are yes and amen. Just trust that my word is true. Just trust that I'm present with you even when you don't realize it. Just trust that even when you see this threat coming, this potential for life to be, as you know it, to be upended, this potential for things to fall apart, just trust that even when that is knocking on your doorstep or you are living in the midst of it, that I am present with you. And so often, We choose our own way. We choose a path of our own making. We are so uncomfortable with discomfort. We are so uncomfortable with with pain and with loss and with fear that we choose a path that will help us skirt that issue and get out of whatever mess we're in as quickly as possible. And yet, time and time again, we see that it's in the fires of testing that our faith is refined. Time and time again we read words like Jesus speaks in John chapter 15 where he says that God is going to prune the branches of the vine that aren't bearing fruit so that the vine can be more fruitful. N.T. Wright uh, says of that passage that, that the, the, the love of the gardener is, is never more evident than when the pruning shears are in his hand and yet we run away from trial. Because we don't like the way that it makes us feel. Because we, we have become so convinced by this world that life ought to be comfortable. That we should be insulated from problems. We perhaps are not too different from Ahaz. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, "Here now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Like, you're, you're, you're putting your people at risk. Imagine, like, if, if, if the people of Ahaz hear of this, they're like, you, you had an opportunity to put your faith in the Lord, and you chose your own path. Isaiah, is it not enough for you to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? And, and the language changes there. Earlier in speaking to Ahaz, he had said, our God, but now he's like, you... You, you don't trust the God that has gotten you this far. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So it's easy for us, and I think maybe rightly so, to hear in those words the promise of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, the promise of the one who is to be born in the world, the promise of the one who is to be Emmanuel, God, with us. And Matthew, as we said, points to that. But but what, what does that do for this particular moment in history here, some 750 years before Jesus is born what 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 do these words from Isaiah mean to Ahaz and, and i believe that this is where we we miss the fullness of what that means because if if we truly if we truly allow god to be as been said to be who god will be I am who I am, I will be who I will be. If we truly allow God to be that in our lives, it means that there are times that we are going to have to walk in a way that is uncomfortable because it is the way that God is calling us to walk. It means that we are going to have to take a step of faith when when where we are standing feels a lot more comfortable. And and not necessarily because it's easy, but because we just know it. Even if it's a a place in which we've been clinging to something for far too long and God is trying to wrestle that thing out of our hands. See this reality of Emmanuel, God with us for Ahaz. Yes, ultimately that promise is fulfilled in the person of Jesus, but, but... what Isaiah was saying to Ahaz is that there is going to be a child who is born to a woman who is of marrying age and that child will be a sign of God with us and and there's there's debate over which child this would be is it is it Isaiah's son is it Ahaz's son is it another son that's going to be born and and Essentially what Isaiah does is in in talking about the child um, eating curds and honey, he's talking, he's giving a timeline, talking about when this child will be weaned. And he's saying, look, eventually, before too long actually, these things that you're worried about, these threats that you're so concerned over, they will cease to be. It will be a sign to you that God is with you. It will be a sign to you that God is present. But you know what is also a sign to you? that because you chose not to receive the help that God was offering, because you chose not to trust God in this coming threat, you're going to have to walk through the threat. And that is also going to be a sign of God with you. And and I think sometimes we're like, wait a second, hold on, how can experiencing the threat of something and having to walk through that how can experiencing pain of my own making and having to walk through that how can experiencing the the you know my life kind of like the way that i want it to be falling apart how can how is that an example of god with us Paul David Tripp says it more beautifully than i could say it He said the bible really is a story of kingdoms in conflict and that battle rages on the field of your heart. It rages for control of your soul. The two kingdoms in conflict cannot live in peace with one another. They will, there will never be a truce. There is no safe demilitarized zone where you can live. Each kingdom demands your loyalty and your worship. Each kingdom promises you life. One kingdom leads you to the king of kings and the other sets you up as king. The big kingdom works to dethrone you and decimate your little kingdom of one while the little kingdom seduces you with promises it cannot deliver. He came to help us understand that his grace is not given to make our little kingdom purposes work, but to invite us to a much, much better kingdom. So tell yourself again today that there is a king, but he is not you. Tell yourself that there is a kingdom that will protect and satisfy your heart, but it is not yours. As Jesus said, there is a kingdom that you should seek, but you will never, ever be its monarch. Quite apart from anything you could have done, achieved, earned, or deserved, you have been given a kingdom. So tell yourself again today, that there is a king, but he is not you. Friends, the sign that Ahaz has been given of Emmanuel, God with us. The fact that Ahaz and the little kingdom of Judah are about to face the threat of Assyria is a reminder that God's desire is that his people come to a place of glad submission to him. And sometimes God is willing to allow us to exhaust all of our other options and to feel the pain and the sting of that before we are willing, in order to bring us to a place where we are willing to recognize that Emmanuel, God with us, both means decimation for our little kingdoms that we try to set up and it means hope that there is a king who has come and is coming, that there is one will overthrow every kingdom of this world and and yet will choose to enter the world in in a state of great weakness as a baby who will be vulnerable and who will have desperate need for the care of his mother so that we might be willing to lean in and ask what kind of king is this what kind of God is this that would put on flesh and that would feel weakness and that would feel pain and that would be cold and need to be wrapped in a cloth that would need to be nursed and given the nourishment that only its mother, his mother can offer? What kind of king is this? It's a king whose kingdom will know no end. A kingdom that will always stand opposed to the little kingdoms that we try to set up. Friends Emmanuel, God with us is both hope. A future and is also a promise that God is willing to deal with us in whatever way necessary to bring us to a place where we experience the fullness of life with him but only through surrendering ourselves fully to his goodness, to his purpose to his plan for us so the central piece to the story is that God with us is not a God who is on our side but a God who will stop at nothing to win us to his heart. That's the hope of the season of Advent. That what this world throws at us does not have the final say because none of these little kingdoms can stand against the King of kings and the Lord of lords who was born into this world, a baby, that we might lean in and ask, what sign is this? What kind of God is this that would put on flesh Walk among us and invite us into relationships.